Well, again, welcome to all of you. And this is part four of our study, Dear Church, as we look at the seven letters that Jesus writes to churches in Asia. And those letters are found for us in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles there to Revelation chapter 2. We'll, we'll pick up with, uh, with verse 12 in just a moment. And these letters are written to churches that are facing a difficult circumstance. They're being persecuted to one degree or another. They are trying to figure out how do they live as faithful followers of Jesus in their specific context. And whenever life is hard, we often begin to to ask the question, where is God? What's wrong with God? It's kind of behind all of our questions. Friday afternoon, I had an order for a curbside pickup for lunch at a local restaurant. Whenever I pulled into the parking lot, I pulled into the the section that was marked off and picked up my phone, called the, the, the restaurant to let them know that I was there. And then I sat in my car and waited. And waited. And waited. I waited patiently somewhat for about 15 minutes before I finally decided that I needed to go in and find out what was taking so long for my order to come. And I walk up to the the, the counter there and I explain um, kind of passively aggressively that I'd been outside waiting for 20 minutes now and uh, I wanted to know where my order was. The lady there said, well, I don't know who took your call, but let me go and check. And she goes over to a table that was just outside uh, the, the cash register there, and there's the order setting, and probably had been setting there the entire time. I got back in the car, and I, I told Allie, I said, can you believe that they didn't even offer me any kind of coupon or anything? And what my response wants to be is, is what happens so often in our culture. We, we live in, in what is... It's commonly known as a cancel culture. And so if we have a bad experience with anything, then we'll, we'll go on social media and we'll say, I used to enjoy flying with this airline, but now I never will again. And, and what I want to do is take this opportunity to let you know what that restaurant is and to tell you never to go to them because they didn't care for me. But at least for now, I'll hold off on that. Now, if you come up and ask me, I might let you know what restaurant it is. But for now, I'm going to hold off publicly. The, the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. John had a nickname that, that was given to him by his peers. The, the nickname was Boanerges. That, that word means son of thunder. And he wasn't given that nickname Probably because of his size. It wasn't that he was overweight. Whenever you read the Gospels, it becomes very clear why he was given that name, Sons of Thunder. Luke chapter 9 tells the story of Jesus sending his disciples, the apostles, ahead of him into the the, the region of Samaria to go and prepare the way. And the Samaritans, they reject them. 
They, they don't want Jesus coming around. And so John comes with his brother James, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, they haven't let us come in. They don't want us there. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Do you want us to just cancel them? And in Luke chapter 9, verse 56, Jesus turns and he rebukes his disciples. They want Jesus to have a message for the world, but Jesus has a message for his followers. And this morning is going to be a message that is slightly uncomfortable. Because we all want a message from God to the world. And God has a message for the world, but, but that's a message for a different time. Now, Jesus has a message for his church. And this morning, the message goes to the church at Pergamum. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. You remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. The problem facing the church at Pergamum is obvious. They are wrestling with how do you live in the world and not be of the world? Did you notice two times in this very brief letter that, that Jesus says, I know you live where Satan has his throne. What is it about the culture at Pergamum that would lead him to say that Satan lives there? We've talked throughout this series about the idolatry that that. The, the, the culture of this day engaged in. The picture that you see on your screen now is the, the, the hill that Pergamum sits on. About halfway up this hill, a little bit difficult to see, is the, the temple of Dionysus. Dionysus is the, the god of wine. And the god of wine brings out the best of you and the worst of you. And you know that. You know the, the advertisements and how the, the companies try to sell you that, that if you drink this wine, life is going to be better for you. And you also know people that alcohol has destroyed their lives. 
that they are angry drunks or that they, they spend their money in foolish ways that it has completely destroyed their lives. And they have a God that, that they worship in this place that is dedicated to that God. The God of wine. At the top of the hill is the, the temple of Zeus. Zeus was the, essentially the, the god of all gods. He's often depicted with holding a lightning bolt. He is the god of justice. The problem with Zeus, though, is he is unpredictable. The story is told uh, of Zeus and, and his judgment. It, it rarely meets the, the scope of the punishment or the, the scope of the crime. He is an unpredictable God. Next to the, the temple of Zeus is the, the temple that's dedicated to Athena. Athena is the, the, the goddess of wisdom. This is the God that you worship to, to gain knowledge. And the, the, the goddess Athena is actually named after the city of Athens. It's the, the, the city of uh, the that is kind of the center of Greek culture. It's a, a God that, that is essentially a worship of self. And more than that, they, they, they had a, a temple that was dedicated to the goddess of Roma, the, the goddess of Rome. They deified themselves and their own culture. Which brings us to what Jesus has against the church. There are some in the church that they are holding to the teaches, the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. These two references are, are somewhat obscure. Balaam only appears in three chapters in the Old Testament. And, and exactly what the sin of the, the Nicolaitans are, we, we really don't know. But, but Balaam, he arrives on the scene in Numbers chapter 22 as the Israelites are marching their way from Egypt into the promised land and God is starting to deliver some of the, the, the territory to them. Balak, the, the king of Moab, starts to, to get fearful of what is taking place and so he hires a prophet named Balaam to bring down curses on Israel. But Balaam can't do that because God won't allow him to. And even though Balaam tries time and time again, Balaam seems to enjoy the fruit that would come from cursing them. So instead of actually bringing down a curse, what it seems that Balaam does is he, he tells Balak that, that I can't curse them, but here's a tool that you can use that will bring them down. I've seen the women in your city and they're quite beautiful. And if you will use them to entice the Israelites, that they will then begin to worship the gods of, of Moab. That's exactly what they do. And Peter tells us that Balaam was the, the son of Beor who loved being paid for doing wrong. Balaam came to, to Israel and, and he, he knows that he's not going to be able to get them to, to, to just completely abandon God. But what he tries to get them to do is simply compromise. Compromise with the, the culture that is all around them. 
See, it's a mistake to look at Revelation as just this, this book about war and conflict. It's also a book that is addressing compromise. Jesus says that there are some in the church that they're not just completely abandoning Jesus, but what they're trying to do is, is find a place of comfort. That they're saying, well, we can still worship Jesus, but it's okay if you go to that, that worship service that's connected with your job just so you can make a living. They are worshiping God and. And Jesus says, that's not going to cut it. He calls the church to repent, to turn from their ways. And it's interesting because it's not everyone, but he calls the the entire church to repent because the, the entire church are allowing those who accept the teaching of Balaam to be in their midst. What Jesus is calling is for a new priority or a renewed priority of calling over comfort. The sin of Balaam says it's not that bad as long as you profit off of it. As long as it it does some good for you, then then you can kind of just, just try and get as close as you possibly can to the line. And if there's one thing I know about you, as a human being, is that you will try and get as close to the line as you possibly can without getting caught. And comfort has a very strong pull. Many of you may remember the old television show, Candid Camera. In 1962, in an episode that was called Facing the Rear, they had some people get onto an elevator and they intentionally faced backwards. And they would have three or four people facing the wrong direction and then someone that was unsuspecting would walk into that elevator and they would watch what that person does. And I want you to watch what this one man does as they actually begin to carry it a step further and further. And I know that you sit there and think that that's a problem for everybody else. Or maybe that was a temptation for you whenever you were a teenager, whenever you were young, that that it was hard for you to, to stand out. But study after study says that we all will choose comfort over being right. 
that what is more important than almost anything for us is just simply fitting in. And that is a dangerous choice to make whenever you live in a place where Satan has his throne. The grounds on which the church at Pergamum sits is fertile ground for having an affair. And I know whenever I talk about the church at Pergamum or any of these other churches that are worshiping these idols, we look at them as being somehow so backwards. We cannot fathom worshiping something that is created out of stone or wood. We cannot fathom someone being foolish enough to to believe in a God that, that, that tells these kinds of stories like these gods tell. But what if we still worship those gods? We just call them by different names. What if we are just as guilty? You know, one of the most common names given to followers of Jesus, to, to the church in the Bible, is the title saints. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, and in the, the introduction to the letter, he, he says who the, he's writing to. He says, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Called to be saints or called to be holy. That word holy, the word saint, it, it's a word that means set apart. I have a toothbrush that I brush my teeth with every day, and my toothbrush is holy. It is sacred. It is set apart for my mouth and my mouth only. One of the, the great frustrations of being a, a parent of toddlers is finding those days where they have gotten in and found your toothbrush and they have neglected the sacredness of that toothbrush. And either they have it in their own mouth or they're using it and swishing around in the toilet bowl or whatever the case may be, they don't see how sacred, how holy that item is. And that's what Jesus says the church is. That you are holy. So he says, repent. You cannot worship God and something else. But as I said, do we really worship other gods? Many years ago, I was in a Christian bookstore whenever I saw this picture that I was stunned by and actually had to, to take a picture of it. It, it is a, a picture of a farmhouse with a big American flag on it. And the words across the screen across the, the picture are, may I never awaken from the American dream. Now there's nothing wrong with dreaming of owning a home or owning a piece of property that you can call your own. But what I found so startling was in a Christian bookstore that is claiming to sell messages by God is this message that says the dream that I never want to wake up from 
is the American one. I said that two of the gods that Pergamum worshipped was the, the goddess of Roma and the goddess of Athena, the goddess of themselves, the goddess of their own culture, their own ideas. We don't call it the goddess of Roma or the goddess of Athena any longer, but we worship idols nonetheless. Currently, there are two visions that are being put forth for America. Now, if we're being honest, there's really more than two visions put forth, but there are are two for simplicity's sake. And on the one side... You're sitting there and you're listening to those who who claim to be Democrats and you're hearing their vision and and you see them and and they have to be somehow mentally deranged or they are just simply morally bankrupt. And on the other side, you're hearing the argument of those who are Republican and I know that Those on this side are far fewer in this gathering. But you hear those that are Republican and you hear their argument, you hear their vision for the future, and and you see them as people who are deeply flawed and greedy. Now, listen to me very carefully, church. There is nothing wrong with being politically engaged But whenever our political engagement, whenever the the only uh, arguments that we have whenever it comes to political issues is the, the language of politics, when what matters most to us is our political allegiance, and that matters more than the death, burial, and resurrection. And let's be honest, for many of us, it does. Because whenever we hear someone who is of the other party, we cannot fathom how they can be a follower of Jesus. The social psychologist Jonathan Haidt says it this way. He says that that, um, when people all share values, when people all share morals, they become a team. And once you engage in the psychology of teams, it shuts down open-minded thinking. The problem is that whenever we think that our vision for the future is right and we are never wrong and we start to to demonize the other, whatever that other may be, the letter to the church at Pergamum forces us to ask the question, are we really followers of Jesus or are we followers of of the goddess of Americana. I know that some of you are not happy with this right now. Some of you are not happy that that I am mentioning politics at all, that that, that the polis, the, the city, should be left out of this. But Jesus does not allow that. Because whenever you make the statement that Jesus is Lord, by its very nature, you are saying no one else is. And the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is the death, burial, and resurrection. Your baptism is 
more important to your identity than any other card or license you carry in your wallet. And Jesus says to the church, repent. The church of Pergamum, they may fear the God of Zeus, the God of judgment, but Jesus presents the picture that He is the one who carries the sword. He's the one that carries the double-edged sword in His mouth. And if they don't repent, He will come and fight. Notice again who He's going to fight. He's going to fight those who are holding to those teachings. But He doesn't call them to repent. Remember, this, this message is not for the world. This message is for the church. The, the church needs to repent and value their calling over their comfort. They need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. They, they need to, to be willing to feel out of place so that others can find their place in Christ. Whenever the church loses its distinctiveness in the world, then people stop seeing the value in Christ. And to those who hear this message, to those who overcome, Jesus says, I will give them of the hidden manna. I'll give them a white stone that has a name that, that only they know. This is imagery that is tied to a feast. In this culture that the way that you would assign tickets or hand out tickets was to, was to write someone's name on a white stone. That was your, your entrance into the party. And on this stone is a name that only those who overcome will know. I wonder what that meant to John, the son of thunder. The one who called for hell to come down on his enemies. Because, you see, John never refers to himself as that. After a while of spending time with Jesus, you know the nickname that G John chooses for himself? The one Jesus loved. I don't know what your nickname is. I don't know what it is that you don't want others to know about you. But I do know that it, whenever you come to Christ, there's a stone given to you that has a different name. That you are the one Jesus loves. To those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Some of our elders are going to be at the back of the worship center. And if you'd like to respond to the message this morning, you can go to them. If you just like prayers for, for some other struggle that's going on in your life, I encourage you to go to them. If you'd like to be baptized, we are ready to receive you, to, to uh, help you in, in getting that new name for yourself. To say, Jesus is Lord and there is no other. Let's stand and sing together.